Hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Um, we, we, we certainly do have um, much to be thankful for, like I mentioned Tuesday night at our, at our Thanksgiving service, in the midst of, you know, even in the midst of recent community tragedy and, and for many, the, the personal struggles um, that, that, that everybody deals with. There, there are tough situations that we all deal with in life, but you know, the one constant is the goodness of God uh, in all of that. And I hope you know that. I hope you understand that. And I hope you feel that even when things aren't going maybe as well as you would like. But um, the Lord is still good. And, and he, still, he still wants to save. And he still wants to change people's lives. And, and he's still certainly able to do that. So, you know, just personally, I'm, I, mean, I want you guys to know just how thankful I am for the, for the Lord's hand in my life and, and on my family. And, and you all are a part of that. Um, so very thankful for you, thankful for this church. I don't take lightly, you know, the role that we have here. And as, as difficult as it can be at times, I, you know, feel like the luckiest guy around to be able to do it. So, um, and that's, that's because of you. So I'm thankful for you. And I, and I, hope, you, I hope you feel the specialness of this place, of, of First Baptist Church. And it's certainly not because of me, and it's not even because of you. It's because of the Lord. It's because of the Lord's hand on, on us, and, and I know that he wants to continue to use us. He wants to continue to use this church, including on December 14th uh, at, at that concert. And, and that's something to take seriously, and that's something to be thankful for, that the Lord wants to use us. So we'll keep pushing and, and see where he takes us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an important update um, on, on that, on, on, on kind of where the Lord's taking us in certain uh, directions at our prayer meeting next Sunday night. So I encourage you to be there. We set aside that first Sunday of the month, um, every month, uh, to set aside for prayer. And, and, and you know, we, that's kind of our, our core group, and, and we do that, and we talk about things that are important to the church. And so we'll be doing that next Sunday night. We specifically... Uh, we'll be talking about the Hungary pastors training opportunity that we raised money for and how has sort of been on hold and in flux. And so I'm going to give you more details about that. So uh, I encourage you all to be there. Certainly if you gave towards that, we raised $100,000 uh, at the beginning of the year for that opportunity. Certainly if you gave to that, I would encourage you uh, to be there. We'll, we'll kind of give you some updates on where all that stands. Uh, but today we are back in Acts chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles and you haven't already turned there, you can, you can be fine in your place in Acts chapter 9 now. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25 this morning of this chapter. And this is part of this section of Scripture dealing with Saul's conversion and his early ministry in Damascus. That entire process covers verses 1 through 30 of this chapter. And, and as I've told you over and over, we're just we're taking our time in some ways you know, getting through this section because there's some important details that I, that I want to hit on. And at the same time, we're just scratching the surface of, of everything that's, that's in this section and what we could pull out of these verses. But so far, we've looked at, at Paul's transformation and we saw some keys for transformation in our own life. And then last Sunday, we saw the process of moving from transformation to action, what needs to happen in the in-between, what I call the in-between, before God can really use us the way he is designed, the way he would desire that, that kind of moving between transformation, that, pro, that conversion process to really getting out and serving the Lord. And that process involves being available and prepared, acting in personal sacrifice, appreciating your purpose, and then abolishing your pride. But today, that's where we've been through the first 18 verses. But today, we're going to see Saul really begin to minister in, in full force. We see him in, in action. And for Paul... That action was preaching Christ. That's what the action was. Acts 9.20, that will in our text today, says that straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And that was Paul's ministry, preaching who Christ was, or who Christ is, the Son of God, and then preaching what Christ did, that he died on the cross for, for the sins of the world, and including the Gentiles. This is what he told the Corinthians some many years later in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's who Christ is and that's what Christ did. That was Paul's message and it never changed. 
from his early ministry in Damascus to later in Corinthians to, to spanning his entire ministry. Now, you know, in that time, he also laid out all of the church age doctrine that we still live by today in his writings. But the center of everything we know as church age doctrine and the center of all his preaching was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That, that is the key. Without that, the rest of the doctrine falls apart. Without Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Galatians 6.14, he said, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And so that primary action that Paul took in his preaching and in his missionary journeys was just that, is to preach the gospel. He was on the cutting edge, right? It, he, it was a new thing. And he was the guy to take it to the world. And he did it unashamedly. He never shied away from it because he personally knew the power of it. In Romans 1.16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And for so many of us in here, we, we know these verses that I'm reading and and we are encouraged and we're challenged by Saul's ministry or for us, it was Paul's ministry. And we know the action he took even to the point that we try to model our lives and our church ministries after it. After him, after the way he went about ministry, after his church planning methodologies. Because Paul is who God gave us to look to and, and to pattern our life after. And Paul even knew it. He wrote to that end many times. For example, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He said, You can look at me. You can follow me. Because I'm going to be doing what Christ has told me to do. And that's what you're supposed to do too. And while God has made each one of us very individually, very uniquely, there are still ways in which we need to strive to live as Paul lived. And maybe we don't have his boldness or his intellect or his audience, but we do have the same Holy Spirit inside of us that he had inside of him. And so we can still be active for the Lord, just like Paul was active. We don't have the excuse of, of not serving the Lord in the same way, not preaching the same gospel to, to the world that, that Paul preached. But what I want to show you this morning is the magic behind all of it. And I use the, the, the word magic loosely, but the behind-the-scenes things that go on that make what we see of Paul in Scripture possible. Because everything that we see Paul do, all of his boldness, all of his preaching, all of his action that we see in the Scriptures is because of the work that he was willing to do internally behind the scenes, or what I'm calling the inaction of action. You see, it's the internal work that nobody else sees. It doesn't appear to be active. That's actually the hardest work, but it's the most important work. And Paul never would have been the great evangelist, the great church planner, the great discipler, and the great doctrine giver if he hadn't put in the work that we're going to see in our text this morning. And this is work that, that we all must be willing to do if, 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 it's, if it's our desire to be used by God and in any sort of way like Paul was used, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that we're, we're going to be, we're going to do all the same things Paul did. It was a different time, it was a different ministry, but, but we can still be used by God to change the world. We can still be used by God to change lives as, as the Spirit of God works through us and we invest what we have into, into somebody else, something that's eternal and, and truly glorifying to him. And so you need to grasp what we're going to talk about this morning because, because the, these, these key steps that we're going to discuss, these are, these are things that many believers want to skip. Or they want to skip and they don't understand the importance behind it. And even with good intentions, they want to get out and, and, and just serve the Lord. And that's, that's great intentions. That's, that's great. But there's some things that need to go on behind the scenes if you really want to make that, that time effective. You know, I, I like to golf. I'm not good at it. And, and, 
but I, but I enjoy doing it. There was, I used to be okay at it. Now I'm just terrible at it. But, um, and it's a shame. I hate it. But um, the reason why is because I don't practice. <laughs> like I'll never spend any time putting any work in to be a better golfer. But then I'll just go out and jump out on the golf course and be upset that I'm not a better golfer. And that I'm not effective on the golf course. Well, that makes no sense at all. Well, there's the, some, some spiritual principle, some spiritual truth to that in our life. Man, we, 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 there's so many of us that we want to serve the Lord. We have good intentions. But we're not willing to put in the work behind the scenes that the Lord really requires of us to be able to use us. And that's what we're going we're gonna to look at this morning. Um, so like I said, we're going we're gonna to see this in verses 18 through 25 of Acts chapter 9. Um, so follow along with me as I read God's words, and we'll get into these points. Very simple, very practical, uh, but life-changing, if you'll grasp it this morning. So starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, the Bible says, And immediately there fell from his eyes, obviously we're still talking about Saul, there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed. and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for the intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him, but the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we have to come together today. We just, in this weekend of Thanksgiving, while we should always be thankful for you, it's, it's a time we do set aside, Lord, to, to, to give thanks for what we have in our life. And Lord, we have so much um, through you, just, just through your offering of your Son to die for our sins, to die for my sins personally. Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful for that and the opportunity you have to have us here together. It's no coincidence that we are here at this time in history, at this place, um, to serve you together. And so, so, Lord, I pray that you use us in that endeavor uh, for your own glory, and I pray that you use uh, this message today to change us where we need to be changed. So I pray that everything that is said is true to your word and that you're honored and glorified through it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were here with us last Sunday, um, you might remember that verse 18 is, is where we left off, right? And, and we saw Saul receive his eyesight back, and, and, and I took you through the spiritual picture there, and, and that's its relation to pride, that Job 41 cross-reference, and, and how that enabled him. Then that's sort of the last step that enabled him to get to work. And Saul was anxious to share what others, to share with others what Christ had done in him. And so he was about to get active. But while he was in this process, there was some very important stuff going on behind the scenes during this time of inactivity. There was an inaction of action that set the stage for everything that God had ahead of him. And, and these same things, like I said, they, they apply to us. We need to be willing to do these same things, to take these same steps. And, and like we talked about last Sunday, God will never make us do it. We have a free will and, and we have a choice. And so we must be willing. And the first internal work that Saul was willing to do, that we also need to be willing to do, is be willing to submit. Saul was willing to submit, and that first and foremost applies to being willing to submit to the Lord. But it also plays out in our willingness to submit to the people and the leaders the Lord has placed in our life. And we see Saul's willingness to submit to the Lord and to Ananias, and I'll explain that, in verse 18, with his baptism. So let's look there again. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And we didn't talk about Saul's baptism when we looked at this verse last Sunday. But there are some very interesting things about it that, that we're not going to talk about today either. Uh, we'll get into this in our LFBI class. We're, we're going to teach the book of Acts next year, next semester, um, in LFBI, and we'll get into these details of the interesting and unique things to, to Saul's baptism. But, but what I want you to see this morning is, is that what is always consistent with water baptism in the Bible is that it is the first act of obedience to the Lord. 
This is the first act of obedience. So I put that in your outline sheet. This is not new to many of us um, in here. But it's the first act of obedience, and it shows a willingness to submit to the command of the Lord. I mean, if someone gets saved and then doesn't want to be baptized and, and doesn't want to identify their life with Christ, you know, that's the sign of, of something that's not quite right. I'm not saying they're not saved. Of course not. It's, it's a work. It hasn't have anything to do with their salvation. But, but it says something deeper about what's going on with their life and their ability to then be used by God. Because if you can't make the simple step and be submissive to what the Word of God says you should do first, what does that say to the Lord and, and of anything else that he asks of you? And for Saul, it's no coincidence that he was baptized in the same verse that the scales were removed from his eyes, dealing with his pride. We talked about that last week. And I, and I put this on your outline sheet also, because I, I, I say that because a willingness to submit is always connected to a willingness to put aside your pride. A willingness to submit at whatever level, whatever the Lord's asking of you, it's always connected to a willingness to put aside your pride. And that's a vital internal work that, that we just have to do. We must do. And for Saul, it not only involves submitting to the Lord, but it also involves submitting to Ananias. Because all the Bible says about this situation from Saul's perspective is that Saul received a vision that Ananias was going to come and lay hands on him and he was going to get his sight back. That's all that the Lord told Saul. Nowhere there in Acts chapter 9 do we read that the Lord told Saul to get baptized. All we see of what the Lord told Saul is found in verse 12 of Acts 9. And that says, And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So what that means is that the baptism was Ananias' idea. And it tied to Saul being filled with the Holy Ghost. That's verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. In the next verse, he's baptized. And that gets to some of the uniqueness of Saul's baptism. And Ananias was still working under a Jewish system. That was all he knew. But, but those are side issues for this morning. Again, I'll, I'll talk about them in our LFBI class. The point that I just want you to see here is that Saul's willingness to submit and his willingness to do whatever the Lord asked of him was, was applied even to Ananias in that moment. A leader that he certainly would not have respected even a little bit three days earlier. But this day, he was willing to submit to what Ananias said he needed to do. And what a great quality that is. And of course it's a great quality because it's a quality of Jesus. It's a quality of Saul. It's a quality of Jesus. We see it on full display, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was willing to submit to his Father's will and, and leave glory to come to earth to, for us, to, to die for us. And that was the mind that he had. And listen, your pride and my pride wants none of that. Our pride only wants what it wants, and it wants to do what it wants to do, not, so, not what someone else is telling us we should do, even if that someone is the Lord. But this is the mind of Christ. Do you want that? I mean, it's what we find in the page of, the, of this book. And the mind of Christ is a mind of humility and submission. And again, I promise you, our pride wants to vaunt itself against that and against God. So, so listen to me carefully, and I put this on your outline sheet as well. If you're not willing to submit to the Lord and the leaders he places in your life, not only is it not having the mind of Christ, because that is what Christ did. The mind of Christ is a mind of humility and submission. So if you're not willing to do that, not only is it not having the mind of Christ, 
It's actually having the mind of Satan. And I know that's a strong statement, but that was Lucifer's sin. It was pride. He vaunted himself against God. He wanted to be like him. We talked about our need to abolish it last Sunday, but it's the very opposite of humility and submission. So we need to take this seriously. And we need to be willing to submit. We need to do that internal work that no one else sees to deal with our pride, to submit to the Lord and his commands. Because listen, at the end of the day, submission is a decision. You don't even have to want to do it. You can still do it. Because that's what the Lord asks of us. It is a choice. That's why it's an internal work. You're going to decide that it's better to glorify the Lord, it's better to obey the Lord, than, than whatever you think, you know, whatever you, it is that your, your pride wants in that moment. So that's first, that's where it starts, to be willing to submit. But then the second internal work that Saul was willing to do, that, that we need to be willing to do as well, is, is to be willing to sit. To be willing to sit, and, I, and I'll explain that to you. But when I say sit, I mean, I mean sit with the Lord and just receive what he has for you in him and in his presence. And, and to get to this point, we have to move around in Scripture a little bit and, and establish a couple things. But it all starts in verse 19, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 19. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Okay, so Saul, had, had, he, was, he had been blind, right? He had fasted for three days, so he, he's weak. But after he received his sight back and after he was baptized, again, as that first act, he was baptized before he even broke his fast. But after those things, he got some food and he was strengthened. He got some of his energy back. And then Luke, the author of Acts, makes an interesting statement. He said, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So Luke says certain days, but he doesn't say how many days. Now, what we know is that Saul is in and around Damascus until he goes to Jerusalem. All right, this is where his conversion takes place, right? The road to Damascus, he goes into the city, he has those three days, and, and his early ministry is there in Damascus. All right, and then he's going to move to Jerusalem. We're going to see that next Sunday. When we get to verse 26, where we'll pick it up next Sunday, we'll see he's going to Jerusalem, right? He ends, he's being chased out of the city, and he goes back to Jerusalem. In Acts 9, 26, this is where we'll start next Sunday. He says, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So again, we'll get to that next Sunday. But, but what you need to understand now is this early ministries in Damascus. And we don't learn this, what I'm about to say. We don't learn from Acts, but we learn from Paul himself in Galatians just how long those certain days were and where he spent his time because he didn't only stay in Damascus. His ministry was in, in Damascus. But he didn't only stay in Damascus before he went to Jerusalem. And we learn this about this time in Galatians chapter 1. And in Galatians chapter 1, Paul is giving a, a vehement defense of the originality of the gospel he's preaching and how he had received it from the Lord. He, it, it, no man had given this to him. He wasn't just repeating what man had told him. The Lord had given him this. And you see this in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. But I certify you, I guarantee, I promise you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man... Neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, I received a revelation. God gave this to me. I, I wasn't taught this. No man talked me into this. This is something I got directly from the Lord. And then he goes on to explain where he received that revelation, starting in verse 15. He says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately... I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were the apostles before me. But listen, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Okay, so here we get a lot more detail 
about this time. So, you, so stick with me as I kind of put all this together. God separated Saul, called him so that he could reveal Christ to him and commission him to preach Christ to the Gentiles or, or to the heathen. And he went about it immediately. And he said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. That means I didn't talk to anybody about this. He said he didn't even, he didn't even go to Jerusalem and, could, and consult with the, the, the disciples, the apostles there about this. He said he, he went and got this straight from the Lord. And, and so what happened, he said, was he went into to Arabia. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go talk to the apostles. He went into Arabia, and then he came back to Damascus. And then that entire process, including his time in Damascus, took three years before he went to Jerusalem. So what that means is that Acts 9.20 to Acts 9.26 spans three years. You know, we don't get a lot of detail. But that time spans three years. And Saul's ministry action in those early years was all in Damascus. But he spent some time in Arabia. And Arabia is a very interesting place. It's not Saudi Arabia as we would think of it today. But we learn more about it in Galatians 4.25. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And answereth to Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with her children. So Arabia is where Mount Sinai was located. That means it was the place of Israel's wanderings. It was Horeb, where Moses met God, where Elijah struggled with depression. It's where Moses saw the burning bush and still argued with God over his revelation. Where Moses received the table of stones, only to see that they were impossible to keep intact. It's where Elijah roamed. In a season of despair, but at the same time drank at the wells of fresh revelation. So think about this for a minute. What place could be more appropriate for the meditations of Saul as the successor to the law and the prophets than Arabia? Arabia is the place historically where we see people reflect and hear from God. In the valleys where the manna fell. Don't miss that picture. Under the shadow of the peaks where God had dwelt, I believe it was there that God gave Saul the revelation of the fullness of the gospel of grace. And the truth is, Saul does not tell us why he went into Arabia. He just says that he did. But, but he didn't preach there, at least it's not recorded. And I believe it was Arabia that he worked through all the ramifications where God gave him the revelation that he was going to go preach and where he worked through all the ramifications of what he had received directly from Christ. And he worked it out all alone in meditation as he was willing to just sit with the Lord. And I say that because that's what God desired of people. And we don't have time to work through all of it, but I'm, I'm going to show you just one example of Moses. The same is true. You can, you can do the same study with Elijah. This is what God desired for people when they came to Arabia. When, when God is going to give them revelation. So Exodus 24, 12 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there. And I'll give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. You see, the Lord wanted Moses to just be there with him. He wanted to come up to the mount. That's one request. And be there with him. That's a second and it was because he was going to give him revelation and he needed him to sit with him in the moment. You see, sitting with the Lord is about revelation. Sitting with the Lord is about revelation. And listen, so many times we're so busy with life and even so busy with ministry that we don't take the time to just sit with Jesus and let him reveal himself to us. It was the difference of Mary and Martha and their interaction with Jesus. Mary just wanted to sit with Jesus, and Martha was cumbered about with much serving. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. 
That's what sitting at Jesus' feet is about. It's about revelation. It is about hearing his word. And Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And he answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful or, or, or cumbered, worried, and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, Mary chose the good part, to sit with Jesus and to hear his word. It was waiting on him and meditating on his revelation. And for us, of course, revelation comes through sitting with the Lord in his word. That's, that is how it applies to us today. Revelation comes through sitting with the Lord in his word. This book is the complete revelation of God. It, it is his specific, special revelation to us. And we have it. And it's complete. There's nothing new. There's nothing more that needs to be said. He said everything that we need to have here. And we have it. So don't rush through it. Let it get in you and learn what God wants from you. It's taking the attitude and the posture of Proverbs 8.34 that said, Blessed is the man that heareth me watching daily at my gates. Waiting at the post of my doors. Just waiting and anticipating that God's going to speak through his word. This is the attitude of just going to God's word and just being there. Waiting on him to speak, waiting to hear from him, spending time with him. Quality time, even over quantity. And it's a word from the Lord, not from others. That was Paul's message to the Galatians. He said, I wasn't talked into this by anybody. This is what God gave me. And I don't think it's any coincidence that, you know, what we learn from Galatians chapter 1 is that this process of receiving God's revelation and working it out in Damascus before he went to Jerusalem and then beyond into the rest of the world, you know, it took like three years. And not the same time Jesus spent with his disciples giving them training opportunities along the way. He was still preaching the gospel in Damascus, even in that time, even in that, you know, that time that the Lord was working on him. And that's so important, especially for, for you young guys coming up in the ministry. There is a learning process that takes time. It did even for Paul. It doesn't happen overnight. And there's a process of time to make God's word your own. And getting a word from the Lord for yourself, because the, the natural question in this as guys are coming up in the ministry is, is this. Is the word you have a word from the Lord? Or is the word you have just the word that God's given to me? And you're just repeating what I said. Or you're just repeating the word that God's given to Jeff. And I get it. That's how it starts for all of us. We learn from other men. That is how God set it up. That is how it starts. But listen to me. At some point, it has to become your own. You can't just be repeating what other men have said. You've had to, had to take the time to sit with the Lord yourself and get into this book and see what it reveals to you. You have to know it for yourself. You have to spend time with God and then do the work the work to learn what God has for you. And that brings us to the third internal work that Saul was willing to do that, that we also need to be willing to do if you want to truly be used by the Lord, and that is be willing to study. And these two go hand in hand. Sitting with the Lord and then, and then studying. These two go hand in hand. Because obviously it starts with sitting. It starts with just waiting to hear from the Lord, being prayerful about that, to spend time with him to build a relationship with him. But our time sitting with the Lord has a purpose. Our time sitting with the Lord has a purpose. And again, the purpose is about God's revelation. So that means there is something for you to learn. And therefore, some work you need to put in. And we see that Saul did that very thing. Look at verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he's the son of God. 
But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which were called on in this, called on this name in Jerusalem and came thither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. So Saul gets to preaching. And the people that heard him were amazed. And, and I believe he's personally, I believe he starts his preaching ministry after returning from Arabia. Now, now, to be fair, not everyone believes that. You read other people or talk to other people, not everyone believes that. Some believe he started preaching right away in Damascus. Um, and, and, and maybe he did. Um, but, he, but, you know, you, we certainly can and should preach as soon as we get saved, if God gives us the opportunity. I just believe he went to Arabia right after his interaction with Ananias because of the specific wording in Galatians 1 that said he, he immediately conferred not with flesh and blood, that he didn't even go to Jerusalem, that he went to Arabia. So the way I see it, Saul gets you know, his eyesight back, he gets baptized, he goes to Arabia, gets his revelation from the Lord, the understanding of the fullness of the gospel of grace, and then he comes back to Damascus and starts preaching it everywhere he can, starting in the synagogues. And those that hear him are amazed. And Acts 9.20 says that they were amazed because this was Saul the persecutor. This was Saul the Pharisee. This is the same guy who was wreaking havoc on the church and the followers of Christ. And now he is one of them. And that was amazing. But I also don't want you to miss the obvious cross-references of Jesus and his teaching and, and working of miracles. Because when Jesus came, the Bible says that people were amazed at the power of his word, Mark 1.27. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Luke 4.36 says, And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits that they come out. I don't believe it's a coincidence that Luke, the author of Luke and Acts, uses the same word with Saul as he did with Jesus. The people were amazed not only at the change in Saul, but also the power of his words. That means he knew what he was saying. He had not only spent time with the Lord, it was productive time. Saul knew what the Lord had given him. Look at verse 22 of Acts 9 again. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And, and this, this time, the strength received wasn't physical, but spiritual. Or it was physical strength from eating physical food he received back in verse 19. But the strength being referred to here in verse 22 is spiritual strength from eating spiritual food. Don't miss those parallels. Because Matthew 4, 4 says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And that spiritual strength that Saul gained from, from learning all the ins and outs of the revelation of God, it confounded the Jews. They, 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 they couldn't answer him. And it proved that Jesus was the Christ. He was who he said he was. And listen, we have this same responsibility to, to be able to prove that, that Jesus was the Christ, that he is who he said he was. And of course, what Paul received from the Lord was new revelation. There, there wasn't a completed Bible. So his studying, you know, was different. But the principle still applies. If you, and if you've been around this church for any length of time at all, you've heard us quote 2 Timothy 2, 15, you know, probably dozens of times. Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved. And as believers, we've been instructed to know and to study God's word for ourselves. We can't get away from that. And in 1 Timothy 4.13, we're given further instruction. He said, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So we're to read God's word, but it doesn't stop there. The last part of that verse, doctrine, means learning or, or being taught. And the word exhortation means entreating or encouraging or even, in cha or even challenging. So and th that's what we're getting to. So there's reading, there's learning, and there's teaching. 
It's discipleship. It's building a personal relationship with the Lord through his word and learning what it means for your life. And then sharing what you're learning with someone else and encouraging and challenging them in their faith. But the truth is, for you to learn anything, you got to do some study. You got to put in a little bit of work. Like we talked about earlier, you need to make the faith of God your own at some point. To ever be truly effective, you, you got to make it your own. And, and that is what is important here. You see, there's a process and a reason that God has set up for all of this. And so our studying should be about sitting with Jesus and then sitting with someone else. It's about getting to know him personally, intimately, building a personal relationship with him, and then sharing that with others, ministering to others. So, so being willing to study is not about being the smartest guy in the room and inflating your ego. That's not what it's about. It's actually detrimental. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Now touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. You see, what is important is that the study is related to your life. What could be used for your good, not for your pride. Because that's what you can invest some, into someone else, what God's teaching you and how he's changing you. You don't want to invest your puffed up self into someone else. And that's a mistake. So let me just try to make this very practical for you by asking you a simple question. What is it that you are going through? What situation of life do you find yourself in? Or what are those around you going through? Do you know what the Bible says about that? So, so for example, maybe you're a, a, a young mom or, or a young dad, a young parent, and that's where you're at in life. Well, have you taken the time to learn what the Bible says about parenting and bringing your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and then sitting with, with Jesus to find out what his word reveals about that and then investing that in your children? See, that, that's how this works. You sitting with Jesus and then you sitting with someone else. And investing that into someone else. Maybe you're newly married. Why don't you study for yourself what it means to be a biblical husband or a biblical wife. And invest what you are learning into your spouse. And if you want to do that specifically, there's a marriage conference coming up called Wedstrong. In just a couple weeks, December 7th through the 9th. We announced it this morning. You should go. There's a bunch of us going to be there. It's a great time. It's a great time of fellowship. But more than that you're going to get a lot of good study material that you can take back home and then start to make it your own and, and, and see what God says to you about, about that and how you can invest that in your spouse and how you can apply that to your life. So if you've not signed up for that, it's only $365. It's the best $365 you'll ever spend investing in your marriage. I promise you, you won't regret it. And it's fun too. It's all of it. You got all of it. So listen, that might mean that your study is different than my study. That's okay. I get paid. I have a job to do, right? I get paid to give you the whole counsel of God as, as we work through the Bible. And that takes some time and work, but it's my job. So I have the time to do that. I can set aside, you know, basically Tuesday through Thursday to prepare what I give you each Sunday. Right? That's basically how my schedule works. So maybe if we were to count hours, I study more than you. Who cares? Study enough so that you can do what God has called you to do, where you are at in your life, and that you can invest into someone else. That's what this is all about. It's not a competition. It's about being used by God and Him getting glory. That's it. And it's only going to work if you do it. If you're willing to do the internal work that no one's going to see. And it's behind the scenes. So it's not so glamorous. Now, if you happen to be like me or, or, you know, you're leading a ministry, maybe 
you, you get to a spot where you are teaching in front of people, or you're preaching in front of people. And, and maybe that is, in some people's eyes, that's considered glamorous. You might have a different perspective if it's something you did all the time. But it, it might be considered glamorous. But, and, I, and I don't say this for any sympathy, I, because, it, because this is important. But listen, the, the work for, for the guys that are coming up in that, and LFB and I and all that, the work that goes into preparing for that, no one else will ever understand. They won't understand the time. They won't understand what God took you through to get you ready. They won't understand the weight of responsibility. And that is okay. They don't have to. And listen to me very carefully. If they did, it wouldn't be the same for you. Because this is an internal work behind the scenes. That's why it's the inaction of action. It's work that can't be quantified and seen publicly but it's the most necessary work that, to, that can be done in your life if you ever want to be used by the Lord. So what we learn from Saul is, is there must be a willingness to submit, to sit, to study, and then fourth and last, we must be willing to suffer. This is the last lesson from Saul. The last hurdle he had to jump through before he went to Jerusalem and began to journey throughout the world. Spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. And after that many days were fulfilled, I think that was the three years, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. So oh, how the tables have turned. Right? The hunter has now become the hunted. And this was the first time we see in the Bible that Saul dealt with suffering after his conversion. But this was just a precursor to what he would face for the rest of his life. And he recounted some of those sufferings with the Corinthians, including this incident of being smuggled out of Damascus in a basket in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So starting in verse 23, he says, Paul said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more. And labor's more abundant and stripes above measure and prison's more frequent and death's off. Just This is the stuff he dealt with throughout his ministry life because of the ministry. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep. And journeys often, in perils of water, and perils of robbers, and perils by mine own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, and weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without... All the things that were happened to him physically, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. That was the internal pain. Then down in verse 30, he further described his willingness to suffer. He said, if I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. I'm not, I'm telling you the truth here. I'm not exaggerating any of this. In Damascus, the governor, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of Damascenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. So he never forgot about that first time he dealt with persecution. But not only was he willing to endure the suffering, he said he was willing to glory in it. And that was because the reason why he suffered, which again included no exaggerations, was all real, it was all truthful, but listen, the reason for his suffering goes back to the revelation he had been given. That's where Paul takes the conversation in chapter 12. So we just read how chapter 11 ended. And then you go into chapter 12, it's what most of the chapter is about. And it gets to his thorn in the flesh that was given to him, his abundance of revelation. And listen, our sufferings for Christ will always be related to how much God has revealed in us. Our sufferings for Christ will be related to how much God has revealed in us. Have you spent time in his word to the point that you are now his messenger? Where people see Christ in you? If so, the enemy doesn't like you. If not, if they can't see Christ in you, he doesn't care. But if God has revealed himself to the point he is using you, then the devil will take notice. So here's the cold, hard truth. 
If you are willing to submit, to sit, and to study, then suffering is not a question of if, but when. It's not a question of if, but when. And this is where the rubber meets the road for most guys. Are you willing to go through it for Christ's sake? But this is an internal work that you have to do and an internal decision that you have to make if you want to be used by the Lord. No one else can make the decision for you. And I wish it wasn't this way. Because the truth is it can be exhausting. It's wearying. It's hard. Listen to how Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 7.5. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. He said their flesh had no rest. And that's how it can feel at times. And yet in all that, he was willing to go through it. He didn't quit. He saw the end. How his life was just to be a reflection of Christ and Christ's glory. And that's why he could write verses like Romans 8.18. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. But you have to ask yourself, Am I willing? And I've seen a lot of guys that the the sufferings of this present time are too much to handle. And if you can't handle it, then you can never be used by God to the fullest extent of his desire. Because in those moments, you don't see the ministry opportunity for Christ to the fellowship of his sufferings. You don't see the eternal value. You just see yourself. You don't see Christ in you. You just see you. And you don't want to deal with it. And listen, I get it. I don't either. And that's why we need to submit and to sit and to study. Because that will prepare us for the suffering. It doesn't mean the suffering will be easy. Paul never described it as easy. It doesn't mean you won't have bad days. You won't have days where you mess up and view things too selfishly. Of course you will. That's still going to happen. But you're able to snap out of it, keep growing, keep moving in the right direction where you're shining Christ more than you're not. And for every step backwards, you're taking two steps forward. You're pressing towards the mark, and you do it because you recognize and you realize the mercy, the grace that you receive from Christ, that he's worthy of it all, and you're thankful for it. Because you know it's not something you've earned. It's not something you qualified for. You didn't receive it because God looked down and liked what he saw on you. God showed you mercy because he's gracious. Same with me. There's nothing good in me. So recognize that and be grateful and then live out the ministry of serving him. Listen, being involved in ministry, being used by God is a privilege. And we view it as a burden sometimes, but it's not if we're seeing things correctly. And if we do the internal work of viewing suffering biblically. So to be used by God for him to put you in the action, there's some inaction that you must be willing to do. You need to be willing to submit, willing to sit, willing to study, and willing to suffer. But listen, if you're willing... To do those things, there is no limit to how God can use you in this life. And what a great thing to consider this morning in this season of Thanksgiving. Because doing that, living that life, is how we can truly give him thanks. That's what he wants out of us.